My name is Dustin, and welcome to the Earthian Podcast, where I explore the everyday stories, emotions, and realities that make up the human experience as we know it on Earth. Today's guest lives in San Francisco, California, by way of Southern California. I met him just before I moved out of the Bay last year. He's an introvert that found a way to communicate using paint and dance. In this conversation, we talk about painting and the topics and ideas that drive his work. We talk about redefining the stereotypes that surround Asian cultures, and we talk about going down an unconventional path. I hope you enjoy my conversation, Michael Kang. Um, how's it going? <laughs> I mean, it's going all right. It's a good. It's like a really nice Sunday in San Francisco. Um, the sun is peeking out, so I can't really complain. Yeah. Uh, how have you been doing during this uh, coronavirus stuff? I mean, honestly, um, it kind of feels like business as usual. Um, but my partner Wendy is working from home, so that's been really nice. So she doesn't have to commute to work, and we get to eat all the meals together and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. I mean, cool. yeah. Um, so I guess we can get right into it. Um, so one thing that I've always appreciated about you, uh, even before we met were the topics that you speak to and spoke to in your work, uh, as a painter and with angry yellow, um, and also how prolific you are with your work. Um, but I want to start this conversation by talking about the blank canvas um, and specifically what are the events, the experiences um, and the topics that inspire you to put paint on a canvas? I feel like, so you, you mean like the, just, just the, the entire ideas of starting a canvas and like looking yeah. at a blank canvas. I feel like it's kind of like looking like the way that I approach paintings is very, is very day to day and it has a lot to do with how I'm feeling like right at that moment. Um, it tends to feel like a diary page. So I, you come up to the, to like a diary page thinking about your thoughts of the day. Maybe there's something really important that you wanted to remember um, from that time and place. Like lately, lately there's a lot of anxiety around this virus and, there's like counter feelings to like these feelings of anxiety, like longings for things like, Oh, like this feeling of, Oh, I want to, I'm longing like for a breath of fresh air. Then like that kind of will influence the painting and bring in like ideas from past. Like maybe I'm feeling overly nostalgic today. Then the paintings will like be anchored to like, you know, something that I'm thinking about, like regarding that thoughts right. about like, so, yeah. So that's interesting. Um, do you try to communicate with your paintings or is it like a purely introspective exercise? Um, I Sometimes I try to communicate a more direct statement. I think it's often, often an attempt to like communicate something clearly. It's a lot more vague than I realized. Um, I realized I created like this very anecdotal visual language for myself. And there'll be times where, like, I'll, I'll even pair words, like, very clear statements with, like, a figure or 
a different image and then I present it and it's like I realized like I was so I was like talking in a circular argument with myself like having a circular conversation with myself that I didn't realize really what the words meant to other people so mm. it's interesting to see like how my like my image of like the point that I was trying to make is completely different from how it ends up being, I guess, ultimately to like a third party person viewer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, I guess that's, that's always, that's always the case, right. With anything you put out there because everyone has their own experiences and things to reflect on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you say that you treat a canvas almost like a diary, when I write, I have a journal that I write in. And when I write, what I notice is that it feels like I'm getting the thoughts out of my head and onto a paper. And then I can have a conversation almost with myself. Um, is that something, do you see painting the same way or, or how do you look at it? Uh, painting, I mean, I guess like to go backwards, like my first lens for creativity in general or like expression in general has always been through sports. Like I grew up playing soccer. I grew up like running around outside, like just being so bored. I remember during like summers and just trying to figure out ways to like entertain myself. And I always found that there's like a physicality and like this kind of meditative state that happens in painting that to me feels very similar to like dancing to playing soccer like and and like like after soccer i i used to dance like i grew up um, break dancing i took it pretty seriously with my friends and that was like the second kind of creative lens i had and there's this moment when you're when you're uh when you're dancing where like you're you're dancing to the music and you're dancing like exactly to the music but in order to do that there's like kind of this you have there's a lot of anticipation but you're not consciously anticipating like this next note or you you may not even have ever heard this song before but you're hitting all these notes and like that's kind of what painting feels like to me and like why i really enjoy painting it has this physicality this meditate this meditative aspect and then like it has this immediacy too so that's why i've always enjoyed it and then after the fact there's this slow, like paintings kind of require you to take time with them after the, like, after this, like, big, fast moment, then you can kind of recollect and look back at them. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So can you talk more about that? Like, how do you, how do you see um, the physicality of something like dancing or breakdancing specifically? And how does that tie into, or how does that connect to or relate to how you see painting like there i think it goes back to that um that sentiment of uh like anticip anticipating like what happens like next and you're kind of like lying in this area of like consciousness and subconscious and a lot of, and a lot of artists i think um in a lot of art history they talk about this idea of the sublime in art and i always i often feel like like that sublimity maybe not maybe doesn't exist for everybody, but I think a lot of people that play sports, or not I mean not even sports in general, but like there's this 
there's these times like when you when you're in the middle of it that things seem to slow down and like when you rem when you remember it you remember like hyper the hyper like details of like that moment you know and i feel like in, right. in painting oftentimes you, you're trying to capture those physically and visually and sometimes the moment happens then you're trying to recount it and then plot those like into a painting so a lot of times i'm staring at the painting um i'm like i'll step back and stare at the painting and just cycle through like in my mind like this brushstroke okay maybe not that brushstroke what about this color and then the more i've painting the more i've painted the one that comes up into my mind like it, it feels like it comes up faster and clearer and it just it's it kind of just becomes a feeling you know interesting yeah and then I, so yeah go ahead oh like i mean and then dancing wise like I just learned, I learned everything I possibly could from breakdancing about the human figure and, and just like understanding my body and it being able to do things that like I saw were possible, but I never imagined in my entire life that I could ever even do those things. And so like understanding like the limits, flexibility, like durability of the body, um, has definitely entered my paintings visual like with physical figures as well when did you decide to become a painter because i think a lot of times you people don't connect um athletes to creating art right so what what is that what what uh what was the transition that you made i guess i think that i was always looking for an outlet to communicate with people um growing up i was i don't know if i would say i was necessarily really shy but i definitely had timid qualities and i was really awkward like i just was like a common theme here like hearing from <laughs> friends around me or people around me was that oh i was like kind of weird and i was like i didn't really understand what that meant but i was always looking for things to communicate with people but also um like express myself like I, I i lied i i was like a big liar as a kid like when i was a little like a little kid and my parents used to get so mad at me but i it, but i was like making up stories you know and i was like i used to like the first like kind of art award you know i say like kind of in quotes was that like i wrote this i wrote this story about owning a pet parrot and i was like in kindergarten but i wrote it like it was real you know i was like yeah, so yeah, I actually have this pet parrot and then I talk to him and stuff and he talks back to me and like, you know, we have these conversations and it's weird how meta, like talking about it right now is like really meta for this feeling of loneliness and like a wanting to communicate, you know? What what drove you to to tell those lies? Dude, I don't know. Can you remember? I well, Okay, well, some some of it was like, the was just like straight up not doing my homework or something you know or like not like coming through on something that I thought my parents like I, I don't know I don't know how you how your parents are but I feel like a lot of Asian parents in general and I don't want to overgeneralize Asian people but there's no such thing as like no to Asian parents you can't if they're like hey you, you got to do this I'm not ever going to be like no so what I would do is I would say, 
yes. And then I just wouldn't do it. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my mom would be like, you have, to, it's summer. You got to read, you got to read all these books during the summer. And then she, she would come back to me at the end of a week. She'd be like, did you read the book? And I would be like, and I would tell her no. And, and like, okay, for instance, one of the books was Animorphs. Do you remember Animorphs? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one of the books was Animorphs. And she was like, did you read the book? And I was like, yeah, I read it. And she was like, what happens, what happens um, at the ending? And I told her I made up the ending because I didn't read the book. And then, she, <laughs> and then she goes, that's not what happened at the ending. And I was like, how did you know? And then she's like, I didn't know. I just knew you were lying. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh my God. I have, I, have, I have a similar theme, actually, which is kind of funny. Um, I mean, I think your, your generalization of Asian parents specifically, it, it, I think it rings true for a lot of people, at least. Um, and for me, I remember as a kid, I had to uh, vacuum the house. That was one of my chores. And I would, my parents were always working, so they were gone most of the day. So um, I would say I vacuumed and I didn't. Or like I would vacuum like the main parts, but then ignore like the corners or whatever. And my parents would literally come home and check the corners or they would place like a thing there just to make sure I vacuumed that part. Um, and so that's just that's just funny that that's like a pattern that <laughs> that uh, happens. <laughs> so, can you talk about um, Angry Yellow and what how that came about? Oh man, um, and what and and, t- and talk about like what it what it is about? Like, you know, explain what what your mission was. So, I entered. Like Angry Yellow, I mean, for its namesake, really, it started with me being very angry, very frustrated, and not finding this kind of sense of identity that I was longing for, like in the overarching, like Asian American diaspora or the, the general like views on what a, like what a, an accepting Asian American was. And I didn't find art that I adhered to or popular culture representation that I was like, oh, yeah, that's really representing me. And it actually, I don't want to name specific makers, but it, I saw like these content, this quote unquote Asian American content that was being produced. Um, and like, it was so popular and so liked and people are like, yeah, that's so funny. That's exactly, you know, and I fucking hated it really. Like I, it made me mad. I was just like, this is, this is the best that we have. This is like these like stupid, like, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> like thinking about it now, I get, I get heated too, but they were just making like these surface level ideas of wokeness and like, it to me to me it was presenting it was presenting like asian american culture like in a white bread sandwich you know like here you go like america this is this is what it means to be asian american and like i hated that so Ang- angry yellow when i started it 
like the point was to present like I, I had this like my feeling for creating creating something was okay I had a point to make in, in like a, in a specific post for example then after I found that point I found a statement or an image that I thought was like honestly like kind of offensive like to and the point was to start a conversation in the comments and to like show can you give an example okay like the strongest example um the strongest example i had was um oh let me see like it was me well like okay like i had one that says like oh everyone thinks we're weak you know, and like these general, yeah, these generalized statements. And um, it was something that I felt like it, it, it would, it, and like that feeling also manifested itself in a bad way too, like in, in an angry way in my life, you know, like somebody would, like for instance, I would get into like argument with somebody in, in a parking lot, like, and, and, uh, Wendy, my partner, she would ask me, like, why are you getting into fights with these people, you know? And and my feeling was because if they, it's different. If I wasn't an Asian man, like, I wouldn't have felt the need to be so angry. But I kind of made a point of, like, standing up for myself to show people, like, oh, okay, maybe if they fuck with, like, the next Asian dude, he's not going to put up with this, you know? And mm. I... I I just kind of, yeah. I felt like this responsibility to stand up for people that, to stand up, to stand up to this idea of like this timid Asian person, you know, because I hated that. Like, I felt like, I felt like it was a, like a, it was a pretty real thing. Right. The fact that um, a lot of people look at Asian men specifically as being like a weaker, smaller, more timid um yeah kind of person right yeah i i completely understand um like when you're when you're talking about that it kind of makes me it kind of gives me chills because i relate to that on a very deep level that i think is hard to understand unless you're you're that you get to experience it um i remember reading uh eddie wong's book uh fresh off the boat when he talks about how he realized there's like a moment at the end, I think where he realizes that he, his whole life was like a reaction to what other people thought he was. And that when he said that it resonated with me just because I feel like I felt like, um, like so much of what I did in my life, like lashing out at people and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, was because of how people treated me. And I wonder when you hear that, what, what does that make you think? Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, I feel like, I feel like when I was younger, it wasn't so much about my race because I felt like when I was younger, um, honestly, I was oblivious. And then when I started making art and I started like kind of, investigating like investigating the things I was trying to express and the things I was expressing I started to look back and like recollect all of these just like not like 
overly terrible, but like these these little racist things that happened to me when I was a kid, like being called chink and like like little stuff, you know, like getting bullied. Like I mean, it was it wasn't it wasn't necessarily for being like Asian, but it was for being different. And uh, I think as I got older. And and definitely while I was doing Angry Yellow and, and before Angry Yellow, I felt hypersensitive to being an Asian man in America. And so I think it kind of like brought a lot of insecurities I had about being an Asian American man like to the surface in like in, in an enlightening way, yeah. which I really appreciated. But during the time it like while the whole time I was doing Angry Yellow. I really was like angry and it still exists today, but um, there was a two year period where I was really consistent with angry yellow. And um, yeah, it was me processing all this anger that I never really understood that I had. Um, and it felt really direct and really poignant and um, informative. <laughs> yeah. Was there something that happened specifically that like caused that to happen or caused you to, to, to start that and to reflect on that? I, I'm trying to think back to exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I, I remember now. I remember now. I saw, I, I saw like some Asian, um, like Asian t-shirts that said something about like, um, Oh, it was these Asian Instagrams and it was this Instagram um, called Asians Never Die. And mm. they had this shirt called the, it was like a play on um, anti-social social club. And it was called like Asian squat, squat club, or I don't know, something like that. Something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've um, seen that. And like I hated it. <laughs> like I like like I'm not hating that guy's like that Instagram success or its popularity because obviously, you know, it speaks to a lot of people, right? But um but it didn't speak to me and, and like it just like it reminded me of my otherness outside of another group of otherness, you know, like not feeling like Mm. Yeah, okay, I'm othered, I'm being Asian American, but then like not fitting into these other archetypes or it it was weird because I was looking for something um something to define me. You know, I was looking for an already pre-existing thing to define me and to kind of like jump into that box willingly, but I couldn't find that and that is like right. what frustrated me. So I decided to create my own my own narrative in counter to a lot of these like other Asian American creators that I just didn't, I didn't like what they were making. Like it just felt like very surface level to me. And it felt like, um, it felt like lazy and like, it felt like they were, they were in a way like profiting off of, off of like, that same notion, that same feeling that I was having, you know, and then like over, they're over generalizing the Asian American experience in a way that like I found offensive. Um, so I, I have a question. You said that you were looking for 
a uh, a box to jump into, like an identity identity to like fulfill, basically. Um, and then you created your own, um, starting with a angry yellow. Can you tell me like what what that identity is that you created? So angry yellow to me was the the whole thought process for me for angry yellow and the identity i was trying to create was 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 based around the idea that an american and an asian american is whatever you want it to be you know and i was like really fed up um at the time with ideas about americana i still am um with ideas about um like this like this visual representation of what it means to be american was often like this blue-eyed blonde-haired football player you know like i was thinking a lot about this statement oh i'm more american than you you know and then somebody goes through a checklist Mm -hmm. of like their parents they're like yeah you know my my dad served in the army or like you know like this kind of this kind of like idea of what it means to be an american and I felt like uh, I wanted to disassemble that as much as possible and kind of present this idea um, that, yeah, like, like my, my upbringing in Southern California was just as American as like this freaking farmer in the Midwest who I mean, still at this moment thinks that he's more American than me because I'm Korean, you know? Right. Yeah. So I I just, I, I I wanted to create a, a world that like, I felt like, Asian Americans can be whatever they want, you know, and it's not just like a boba loving, like, like, <laughs> like fucking angry mom rice eating person, you know, like, yeah, 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 for sure. I think that's interesting. Something, something that I think about is, like, there's, there's those type of people like you're talking about that play to the stereotypical Asian American image, and then there are other people that are wildly different. I mean, there's, there's so many examples now that it's, it's kind of amazing because, um, I mean, especially when we were growing up, I feel like there weren't that many Asian American representations. There was probably like Jackie Chan, Jet Li, and like- Yan Can Cook. The rapper. Um, Yan Can Cook. Uh, who? Oh, oh, he's a TV- I've, I've never heard of a, him. Like a TV um, cook, like a, a, like a, yeah. Oh yeah, the guy that used to <laughs> yeah. chop, like really fast. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but so I think there's like right now there's so many representations and there there are a lot that I I disagree with as well and just because of what they stand for. But at the same time, I I step back and I'm I think to myself like it's good that there are those type of people even if I don't agree with them, that's the point. Like the point is to have such a variety of people that um, that there is no yeah. type, you know what I mean? And I think that's a great thing. Um, so I was looking through your work um, and I landed on a painting that you shared uh, called Letting Go, or I don't know if you call it Letting Go, but it's a painting of a blue sky inside of a picture frame that you painted. Um, and then there's like on the bottom right hand corner, there are two flowers. I think there are tulips. 
uh, underneath it, you wrote a caption. And I think this is relating to what we were talking about earlier. Um, but you, the caption is, I'd been going through a lot when I started this painting. And it seemed to resolve itself when I had resolved the issues in my life. I want to find beauty in this world and everything seems to be an act of letting go. I don't mean that I'm forgetting, but definitely letting go of the anger and trying to turn it into something useful, something more powerful. And I think that caption speaks to uh, two topics that are really, I think are really important, um, not just for Asians to talk about, but I think for men to talk about, and that is the, the topic of letting go and the topic of anger. Um, I want to start with the yeah. topic of anger. Uh, what is the role of that anger has played in your life, both positive and negative? I feel like the negative aspects of anger for me um, have come out in words, like I've, and it's normally um, like a mild form form of anger, a sort of frustration that leads me to to just like say things like that I don't necessarily mean, but I'm like talking out loud. But when you're angry and you say things, like people take them more definitively, you know. So I feel like um, there's definitely times like when I'm angry that I felt like um, it uh. Like it lashed onto somebody else that didn't that wasn't necessarily part of my anger or part of like any consequences surrounding it, like but it just it happened to like like for instance like somebody maybe I argued like in a grocery store or in a in a parking like in a parking lot like maybe it wasn't that big of a deal to them but I made it a bigger deal because of these insecurities that I had and like the anger came like the insecurities came out in that like angry form and that and like that's like a negative way. But I found that anger has been really positive for me. Um, I think, I think naturally I'm very, I have like very big, like people pleaser kind of tendencies. Like I want, I want to host well, like to the people around me. And I want to like, I don't know, like participate, like, in an atmosphere that's like generally like non-confrontational. Like I'm very, I tend to be non-confrontational minus <laughs> like those examples of how me like, <laughs> like, I, right. I, like getting into. <laughs> minus the, yeah, con- minus the minus times I was extremely really confrontational. confrontational. <laughs> um, generally speaking, I'm very non-confrontational. So anger um, to me has been a way of uh, truly getting to express myself without caring about what somebody thought about it so it, it gave me like a, a space for honesty also I use it a lot against myself to be like dude why are you like like self-referential anger to kind of push myself to go to an uncomfortable place that I know I need to go but I was making excuses for myself to not do them so I think like yeah. I like I like these days I use it like intentionally like I'll be like okay what are the things that you're telling yourself like you can't do or you shouldn't do and like what are your excuses and then like I'll kind of get mad at myself and then I'll be like okay well it's time to go do that thing yeah 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 for sure I I, okay so this is kind of a sidestep from this conversation um but 
what um oh my god the, the thought just left me oh it's gone all right back to this um okay so i think the idea of using ink oh i remember now you said that you use anger against yourself uh what i've been thinking about recently was and what i've been trying to do more often is um doing the opposite uh because i feel like i tend to use anger on myself to you know motivate myself to do something or whatever it is um uh, but recently i've been i've been after i do something like uh, for example finishing work or doing a project or something i will sit there and i'll let myself feel really good about it and feel proud about it um or proud of myself for doing the thing have you have you done anything like that have you noticed um that you tend to punish yourself more than you are proud of yourself what what is Ooh, uh, i mean I think I think probably I am more critical of myself and the things that I'm doing more than I am accepting um accepting of like I don't know whatever the thing that I made or the decision I or like a certain act I did like and and it all stems like from this feeling of kind of never feeling completely satisfied with something so the so i do find enjoyment like in like when i'm like sometimes like i'll be doing a painting and i'll just like do this one mark and like it's awesome and it's literally just one little mark and i just like will like yell out like in my paint like what in like in my garage i'll just be like woo like 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 <laughs> like i'll be like yeah like fuck yeah like that was awesome you know <laughs> but i just i always I feel like it was ingrained in me since a young kid that things could always be better. Um, and I've been kind of like, and I remember I was like having this conversation with my friend. And I was like, dude, I don't know. I'm never satisfied. Like I always wanted things, things to be better. And um, he was like, Hey man, to be honest with you, like that's good for some things, <laughs> but um like that could be really bad too, man. He was like, then you're never really going to be really happy, you know? So I've been learning to like use that to fuel yeah. my work, but to not necessarily have that idea fuel the rest of my, my life. But then it's hard because my work is the majority of my life, you know, but I, but I try not to cast that onto the people around me. Like I, I try not to project that onto like my friends, my family, like, oh yeah, you can always be better. Like, why aren't you getting better? You know, like right. that's, te right, that's right. terrible. That's terrible, you know? Yep. But I definitely, yeah, use that a lot to criticize myself when it comes to either like my working habits, my my physical effort. Um, so it drives me to work harder. Yeah. Okay. Um I I'm curious about uh your childhood uh we talked about it a little bit but when you look at your your you know your childhood from like four to whatever 15 16 um what words would you describe or what was what words were you used to describe the the general feel of your life as a kid like the first words that came to my mind were suburbs and white mm. <laughs> like 
Um, and I felt like pretty, I was a pretty aloof kind of kid. I don't know. I just didn't feel really present. Um, I, I don't know what kid does, but I didn't know what I was, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing just like any other kid, but yeah, white suburban, um, my family was like middle, middle class, I guess. Yeah. My, my dad, I grew up in, um, Fountain Valley, relatively small white suburb. Like it's a city you pass through to get to the other city. Um, how was it growing up being, being different than everyone else around? I mean, fortunately we had like a, we had a little Asian American posse, you know, like a little group of people. Like we weren't like, um, there was a, there was a good handful of Asian people. So I felt like the, I was always constantly searching for places to belong to. And I think that happened definitely as I got older, because when I was younger, elementary school, middle school, I played soccer, all the Asian kids hang, hung out together. You're not really thinking about um, personal identity when you're like 10, you know? Um, but yeah, as I got to yeah. high school, um, <laughs> I remember all the kids that I grew up with, like, they were really cool. They're, I mean, they're all, they're all really nice. Um, but I just, it was kind of weird. Like I just kind of had this feeling of like, these people aren't my friends. I don't know. It feels harsh to say that they weren't my friends because we were friends. Like, but they, we weren't like, I didn't feel this connection or like this understanding to them. So when, as soon as I got to high school, I was, I was just like trying to latch on into a certain direction. So I started trying to hang out with these like uh like gangster Vietnamese kids. I tried to like <laughs> I tried to hang out with like those gangster <laughs> Vietnamese kids and like I tried to like like kind of like put my foot into that world. I remember there was this like fobby Vietnamese girl that hung out with them and I tried to date her, but then she liked this other Vietnamese dude. <laughs> and after that after that happened, like, I kind of, like, had a wake-up call. I was like, okay, I didn't really want to do that. But I wanted to, like, be accepted into a group, you know? And getting with that girl would have would been my ticket into the group. So I, I literally just, like, walked <laughs> right. around the school, like, during lunch and, like, eating lunch by myself. Like, I would just literally walk around the school, uh, like, our, like, our high school. And I would just... Um, just eat lunch by myself and like kind of just look around the campus and I did that every day for for uh, a couple weeks and then like um I saw these kids like dancing in the in the hallways like they were break dancing and when I was like in middle school I I started like trying to break dance but I didn't like I didn't really take it super seriously but I but I always like had an affinity for it and I found these guys that became my friends like became um the first people that I really felt like I vibed with, like on a different level. What was it about them that made them not made you vibe with them more than your other friends? I mean, it was, it was the, it was the common love for dancing really. And like getting to like learn and explore this thing together. It was similar to being like on a sports team. Um, and then just like 
it's like accelerated because breakdancing is so dynamic and so physical that we're all learning to walk and run together, but it's happening like immediately in front of our eyes, you know? And like, so we really bonded over dancing and like, mm-hmm. kind of like seeing this whole new world together because it was really, really different. We would go to like, we would go to these events and, um, and when you're younger, like the ideas of breakdancing are like these dudes in track suits, like, you know, you, you think of like 80s breakdancers, but we, we, I went to my first jam in Southern California at this place called Youth of Flame. It was like this Christian, like hip hop center in, in like Anaheim or something. And then um, there's, there's like, yeah. it, it was a crazy mix of dudes. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, there was these guys, there was these guys like dressed like, they dressed like punk punk guys there's like goth looking guys there's like dudes in crazy costumes um there was also the the generic the i i mean not generic but the the basic archetype of a break dancer like there was those dudes in the track suits there was like these guys dressed like more like i don't know like clean cleaner like with like fitted like fitted caps and oversized oversized jerseys and stuff like there was dudes like that there was just like this Mm -hmm. crazy mix of people that i was honestly shocked the first time i went to a b-boy jam like they're tripped me out and then yeah and then to see all the different kinds of ways that people were dancing it felt like there was no rules yeah and i think we all fell in love with that together yeah how far did you take that like how, how did how long did you break dance for i mean I, just, um, I know you still do some of it today but yeah how, how uh, far we, did you go with that like i danced pretty seriously for like i want to say like 10 eight eight to ten years and we were like trying to go to competitions and jams um i i pursued it more like with my friends um, I didn't practice serious enough to do a lot of jams and a lot of battles, but I went to my fair share. A lot of my friends took it even more seriously. And I mean, yeah, I like went to a lot of jams, won a lot of different jams and battles and stuff like that. I mean, it, it was, that was our life. That was our life for its entirety during that time. Yeah. I, I think I, I never, uh, I never was a B-boy, but I, I had friends who were, and I always loved going to, like, um, all the the competitions they had. It there's something about, and I think that's a common theme with just Asian Americans in general. Is um, at least for, uh, amongst my friends, is uh, the the thing about hip hop and being very relatable. I, I don't know what it was, but there was something when I walked into that room, I just felt like right at home. Uh, I don't know if you felt the same way, but it, it was just like, yeah. a, it was like a, a homecoming kind of thing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> it was a lot of that. Like we, we also got really lucky to fall into this, uh, into this uh, community, like hip hop workshop thing that was happening. It was called the circle. And they taught us all about the history of hip hop. They would have like old heads come in and like teach us, all sorts of stuff like so people ended up getting into emceeing people ended up becoming djs like 
yeah, it was a whole thing. And then so we met so many people awesome. um, that were teaching us like these, like these philosophies of hip hop and like just trying to teach us to be like good people, you know, and to like to spread it too. like this guy used to always say is like each one teach one. He used to always say that. So like, yeah, hip hop mm. taught me a lot. Yeah. What, what did you what did you bring from that world into the rest of your life? Um, like lessons learned about so how to much live like, or, you know, I don't, how to like, be so much from from a life perspective um, really it was the first time that I felt really self-motivated to work on something and build on something and there would be times like where you've been trying this move like for maybe years you've been trying to do this one move and then to finally do it like is like a crazy feeling because in your mind it was in in my mind it was like outside of my imagination like ever like i remember when i started breakdancing there's a move called air flares and it's like the holy grail of power moves you know and then it had to be like five or six years later like i did this like one transition and but basically it ended up in a in an air flare like a uh, elbow air flare and i was like whoa dude like the the younger version of me would have never ever thought it was possible like i was sitting there like did i really just do that like i never ever thought i was gonna able be able to do this and it was a really simple moment but that feeling has carried on with me like like forever like this idea that you can really if you if you like just keep working on this thing like you can get these things that you didn't imagine were pop were possible you know um yeah it's, it's the first time that i ever worked for something for myself without somebody being like hey you got to go practice hey you got to go do this yeah i feel the same right. way about painting it's like the and reason why the I can't, it's hard for me to do other jobs because a part of me just oh like at the end of the day just just doesn't care like and i can't motivate myself to do this thing that like i know i don't care about which is in it yeah yeah i'm curious how do your parents feel about my you parents being- they're pretty understanding and accepting of it now um and they're they're honest they're honestly they're really accepting of it because like i'm engaged with my partner wendy um who has <laughs> who has like a more has like a consistent job has like um has like a more like and and they met her and they understand like <laughs> oh wow she's like a very stable very like like yeah understanding person so they kind of like it's like right. a validation for who I am as a person too like okay well she is sane so he must be sane you know uh, <laughs> um yeah like my mom I was talking to her that's hilarious uh, the other day and she was like you know Michael, I, I still think you're really smart. I think you could still be a sports. I think if you give up on painting now, you could still be a sports attorney. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. So, like, but they, but they, Oh my God. I mean, I learned like as much as they probably, as much as they didn't want me to pursue art, I learned it from them. Like I literally learned it from them. Like I, my, my dad, like I, I remember like learning to like draw and doing coloring books, like with my parents and stuff. Like, and I still draw and color like that. It's like the same. What is something that you used to be afraid of about life? Money. Money and money. And what are you afraid of now? 
I think a thing as I get older, a thing that I'm afraid of is not, it's, it's kind of based around that statement of like, oh yeah, like tell the people that you love around, around you that you love them, you know? Like you never know like when you're going to get to see them again. Like I, I find myself thinking more about my parents these yeah. days. Like they're getting older. Um, I find myself, like I used to be really worried about money and recognition. Um, and I think the money was part of like this idea of recognition. So really, I used to be really worried about not being recognized, not, um, and not being seen as successful. Cause it, cause that, and I, I wanted to clarify that because like being successful and wasn't as important to me as being seen as being successful. Like when I was, when I, and this is like even a few years ago, you know? Right. And uh, I always connected that to money. So if I wasn't making a certain amount of money, if I was having any minor issues with money, it was the most stressful thing in my life. And where do you think that came from? I, that came from definitely being Asian. Like it definitely came from my parents because like money is survival, you know? Mm-hmm. And my dad always preached like that money wasn't the end all, yeah. but it, it meant convenience. But then the way that the way that translated into everything else, like, nah, like money was king, really. Like, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. Like, I, I got preached those same things. Like, don't do art and the way that people treat artists in the Asian American community, you know, and mostly the parents, mm-hmm. like a lot of like, and then the thing about like, I, I, I don't know how like, necessarily other Asian parents do it, but Korean Korean people, they're really like, in my experience, they're top to bottom. They're looking for somebody to look down at. Like, it's, it's like what it feels like a lot of the time. Like, Korea has like a very hierarchical, like, you call, you call somebody, like, even if they're like one year older than you, young, like, that means older brother. And it comes with like a lot of formalities. Like, hey, like, if a young called me and was like, hey, give me a ride to this place. And I would be like, fine. Yeah, okay, I will, you know? Like, like granted, like, a good young will, like, do stuff for you, but Korea, they really look down on people. So, like, if you're not, if you're not making a certain amount of money or, like, you're doing something like this, they'll, like, just shit on you, like, to your face. <laughs> like, and, like, um, so they, I don't feel like, uh, yeah. I always felt like, okay, they don't really value arts that much, um, but they appreciate it. They appreciate you once you have esteem. Once you're like, once you've proven yourself, you know, but if you're like pursuing it, like I worked at a Korean um, art institute and it was the, the trend was, was that the girls were there because they actually enjoyed art and the boys were there. I, I would always ask them, I was like, why are you here? They're like, my mom says I'm bad at studying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, um yeah, it was weird because like I remember I even had I had a student who was she was like 12 years old and she was like freaking out because her mom was a superintendent at her high at a high school or something and she was like stressing out about getting into this like esteemed private school and she was like killing herself over it, you know? And like I was like but you you like doing art? She's like, "Yeah, I really like it." Um but I'm only here so like I can have like a well-rounded uh well-rounded like 
application to my private school and then eventually that will help me get into like this ivy league school of my choice that i really want to go to you know and i'm like oh my god and like those kind of people when they see you like when those kind of moms or dads come in they look at you like they look at you in a certain way you know like you you could tell when somebody's looking down on you (laughs) you get that feeling a lot you know when you think about um what you're doing with your life right now like the decisions you made, the people you surround yourself with. Um, what is the question, the I question am that you're answering with how you live your life? Um, to me, the question that I'm answering is, yes, you can be an artist. Yes, you can support yourself doing something you love. Um, and I think like that's like the main question that I've wrestled with like for the past I don't know I like I guess like my whole life (laughs) like being ingrained with these ideas of like what real happiness is being Mm -hmm. ingrained with the ideas of like what kind of life you can actually lead and then discovering that it all comes down to kind of like well one circumstance privilege and then on top of that how bad you want something and and pursuing art at least on like the financial side i've learned to like the business side of it is just it is really pragmatic but it's just as creative as the art making itself you know and i think like the big question is just like the life that i didn't necessarily know i wanted in the beginning but the life i soon started like being able to imagine i wanted is 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 real you know it it can be real like i you can pursue something you love and have a life doing it. And it doesn't have to be like this dramatic, like movie story where it ends up you being poor in a corner doing drugs, you know, like, and like, I think like being pitched that story a lot when you're younger. Yeah. It, I think like, it's just, yeah, that's like the question I've answered. Like, and it was like the undoing of a lot of these things that I realized weren't true. Yeah. So the last question is, um, we as humans put up statues of people, not because we love those people, but because we love what those people represent. Uh, So when you pass on from this life and the world puts up a statue of you, where would you want to put that statue and what would you want that statue to represent? Damn, that's, uh, I don't know, that's really hard. If I if it was like regarding a okay like like metaphorically a a physical rep a metaphorical or i mean a symbolic representation of myself after i die or like uh if i could leave a mark on the world before i died would would i mean like in a really simple way to just let the people that I know and care for know that I've truly loved them and that like, I hope they have like a wonderful life, you know? And if, and if I could ask for more, um, it would be to like spread like passion for creativity. It's, it's, it's definitely something I think about, but it's definitely uh, something to wrestle with too. Cause it makes me think a lot about like, Oh, do I want to leave my mark on Asian America? Like, yeah, I do. 
but I find like I'm finding myself doing it in a in a more roundabout way. Like I found like, for instance, like doing Angry Yellow consistently and being and seeing the world through that lens all the time was not necessarily sustainable for me. It was an amazing um, it was an amazing cathartic experience for me to do Angry Yellow. And it still is, but it wasn't who I am as a whole and on the on the daily. So I want to I want to leave my mark on Asian America, but in a different way, like maybe, yeah, by living my life, being a successful artist and showing people like, yeah, you can be then, then if, I, if I can do that financially enough, then I want to be able to spread that wealth as much as I can. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know would be interested in being interviewed for the Earthian podcast, reach out to us on Instagram at WeAreEarthian. And of course, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you and have a beautiful day.